On your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast, we catch up with AFL manager for female football development, Jan Cooper. East Fremantle president, Steph Walding. The coach of Yoronga South Brisbane, Scott Stevens, And we chat with the co-founder of girlsplayfooty.com, Matt Marsden. All that and more on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holton. Thank you very much for joining us on the 12th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. And if you haven't already seen it on girlsplayfooty.com, check it out. Our exclusive that the AFL will be making an announcement on the broadcast of the AFL women's exhibition matches on May 12 at the AFL women's breakfast. And we believe that at least one of the two matches will be shown on free-to-air television. That article on girlsplayfooty.com. It's my pleasure to now have on the line the AFL manager for female football development in Jan Cooper. Jan, one of your responsibilities, of course, is looking after the National Youth Girls Carnival coming up on May 4. And I guess uh, leading up to then, there'll be plenty of sleepless nights. (laughs) I think there will be. And a few uh, anxious moments from some of the girls who are still part of a... Um, an emergency group that have played on with a couple of the squads so I'm sure that they'll be uh, awaiting their fate over the next couple of days too before the final teams are selected for travel. Uh, Let's talk about logistics. Uh, First of all I believe you're using the one venue but but there is some backup grounds just in case obviously if there's let's say poor conditions and it just buckets down rain during the week. Yes, I can't see how that can happen given the Perth weather currently, but if it does, we've got a what-if in place. And uh, Rushton Park has the the main stadium surface and then there's two really good playing surfaces adjacent to it as well. So we can still use the change rooms, etc. of um, Bendigo Bank and then just sort of virtually walk to the two ovals that are close at hand. Well, let's talk about logistics. Uh, how many youth girls are we talking that are going to be um, essentially ascending upon Mandra? Well, it's about 240 that are actually have made their, um, the, well, will have made their state team. And so that's across eight teams. And then there's usually around 10 staff uh, travelling with the girls as well. Um, and I, I can um, confidently say that there's quite a number of travelling parents, even though this is obviously a bit of a a big uh, expense for families to come from the east to Perth and then go to Mandra, which is an hour outside of Perth. Um, I'm having a celebration and kind of information afternoon tea for travelling parents to thank them for what they have contributed to their daughter's journey. And the RSVPs are showing that there's a large number of parents travelling across Australia to support their, their daughters as well, which is really heartening. And, of course, because they're under 18, they obviously need their chauffeurs and everyone keeping an eye on them. So how hard is that to keep an eye on everyone and move them from point A, obviously being a hotel, uh, through to point B, the ground, and wherever they might be having a a day-out adventure in WA? Um, It's it's not too bad, actually. Um, This is the sixth Youth Girls Nationals, and I would suspect the, the preparation that's gone into it is already displaying that it's going to be the most skilled, but... And part of that is because as we're growing the participation numbers, there's more girls that are vying for positions on the talent pathway. So, you know, that means that... And I'll give you an example without necessarily mentioning names, but two girls from a particular state last year 
um, were selected in the All-Australian team. Now, I know, having spoken to the coaching staff, that both of those have had trouble. Uh, they've only just made their team um, based on the fact that there's so many skillfully, uh, skillful and highly talented girls coming through in the next wave. So even though they're the top of the age group and you'd think, well, they'd be there for leadership as much as their um, ability, but they've struggled to make their state team given what's coming underneath them. So that's terrific for our system because it means we're going to have some really entertaining and competitive games. But it means too that girls have to work a lot harder to get their place in a state team. So... That also means that the level of professionalism is improving amongst all the states and territories as well. So um, on, the, on the question that you're saying about shifting all these girls, I expect that the level of um, leadership and the attitude towards participating in these games will be probably the highest of any we've ever had. So, um, so that's good from that point of view. And in terms of getting the girls around, well, there's the good old bus transport so we, we did the same thing uh, when Shepparton hosted the champs a couple of years ago and it was no impost at all to get the the girls from uh, the airport to Shepparton and, and it'll be the same for getting them from Perth airport to Mandra. Uh, you mentioned about professional professionalism uh, how much have you seen it change over the last six years particularly now I guess with a with a greater focus on recovery? Oh, recovery and preparation, to be honest, because before, um, probably the first one was very much who could afford to participate. There would be a core of girls who definitely would have been selected first up, but then um, because it was quite an expensive exercise, it was really, well, who, who can afford it and uh, you'll get selected. But of course now... Um, being um, much more heavily subsidised and m moving quickly towards parity with what the boys have provided, the AFL's been able to look at travel equalisation. So that financial impost is not as great as it used to be. So teams really are able to select the girls who are most deserving and the most skilful from their states or territories. So... You know, looking at from even the first nationals to last year was quite a huge jump in skill level. And the other thing that's really um, happened too is not just what's happening in the state squad slash team environment, but every state and territory now has implemented um, talent academies as well. So a whole lot of these girls get virtually a year-round access to quality coaches and a, a really rich program, again, um, based on what the male academies do. So we've got a similar curriculum and um, minimum standards in place for those academies. So the whole system is, is moving very rapidly towards what's on offer for the, for the males. And we're also pedantic about making sure that this is not just a journey for the most talented players, but we heavily support our coaches so that there's mentoring in place. They get given lots of opportunities on their coaching pathway. And so it, it means the whole standard of everything is increasing rapidly. And you mentioned about the uh, All-Australian side. Uh, who will be on the selection committee for that this year? Yeah, we've got um, a great fellow, Robert Smith, from uh, who's had a, a very deep um, involvement in, in male football over the years. So he's our sort of neutral chair to, to uh, make sure that he makes the final decisions on anything. Um, and then we've got uh, two coaches from uh, the Western Bulldogs football club um, 
exhibition game panel in Nicole Graves and Nikki Harwood. And, and both of those ladies have got a, a massive um, history in female football and both are level three coaches as well. Um, then we have Julia Price, who was the female manager for AFL Queensland a few years ago and um, has just, and although she's very heavily involved in cricket now, she was an All-Australian, an Australian rep in cricket, but she's had a huge love of AFL and uh, combines both the sports very nicely, thankfully for us, our code. Um, she'll be one of the... Um, other members, and then I'll be providing the executor officer's role. And if if there should be any, you know, to all draw on certain players, then I might add my um, my opinion to the ring as well. And uh, how has the media coverage been of the Youth Girls Carnival coming up, both obviously at the local level and the local Mandurah press, uh, and as well, uh, I guess, leading up to uh, the final, which I think is May 8. Uh, will we also see some possible video or streaming coverage of that? Oh, all the games are live streamed, and um, through social media, we'll be able to share that code in the next day. That's just being fine-tuned a little bit as we speak. Um, and as you said, the local media has been amazing around the youth girls. The, because Peel is sort of halfway between a, a city region and a, um, a country region, the southwest region, which is the na- neighbouring region to it, has been marvellous in promoting it as well. All the schools are on board and on the rest day there will be massive amounts of school clinics and they'll be conducted by the state coaching panels and a lot of the girls as well as the female role models. So that's very exciting for those um, schools to be involved as well. Um, in terms of mainstream media, it, there's, because the, the uh, AFL Women's Draft has only just been completed, there's been um, a, quite a lot of media around that and showcasing some of the youth girls who will be playing um, from that. So, for example, Taylor Harris, who's a retained player for Melbourne Football Club, um, is in her last year of youth girls. So you can imagine that um, someone of that ilk uh, who, who is a retained player at an AFL club and still uh, capable of playing youth girls um, has received a lot of good mainstream media. A young lass called Jodie Hicks, who uh, lives about five hours away from her nearest female competition in New South Wales, um, was drafted as an emergency um, for Melbourne Footy Club too, but she's also competing in the youth girls. So there's been a lot of, um, you know, extra leverage off those girls being part of the draft and the fact that they're still playing in the youth girls national. So we're pretty chuffed about uh, how the media has got hold of this and are showcasing those great young female role models. And you just mentioned just quickly there on the uh, AFL women's draft. Um, how did that all come about uh, logistically? Because uh, I guess for the first time having girls flown in as well from interstate, so it wasn't just the Victorian-based girls at Etihad Stadium. Yeah, we were wrapped that these girls at sort of pretty short notice were able to get time off their work. The, the, um, the girls that had to do that, their bosses have been absolutely amazing in terms of their support. So... We thought the more interstate girls we could get into Melbourne, given that it's live streamed from there, then it'd be 
a much you know bigger celebration and it certainly worked a treat and it also gave us an opportunity to meet some of the girls face to face and um, you know put them in front of the media so that was incredible but I think what's more amazing is that last year there was about 1300 uh, came in on live streaming um, by the end of the show there was nearly 8,000 so when you're also talking about every capital city had their own state event uh, for possible draft nominations sitting in that room with their family and friends um, and then to have another 8,000 globally um, tune into the live streaming we're wrapped that there's so much interest around this concept so we're looking forward to um, you know, the the product itself being, um, you know, a much greater presence globally once uh, we make a, a particular announcement about live streaming and broadcast um, at the AFL Women's Lunch on May 12. So uh, we're not too far away from an announcement because in, in year one, of course, I think it was just a, a video camera at the ground and highlights were put up later on. And uh, last right. year, of course, it was uh, live on the afl.com.au website. So I guess this will be progressing further again. Yes, absolutely, Peter. So watch this space. I can't reveal anything now as much as I'd like to to your listeners, but um, certainly May 12, if they stay tuned, um, and particularly those who are really dedicated to the female pathway, they'll just be so excited by the announcement. So, um, yeah, it, it should be a huge step forward for female football. And we'll be certainly looking forward to that as uh, as we have two women's matches uh, this year. And uh, I, I don't want to tempt fate, but Michelle Cohen kind of hinted at saying, well, there's enough talent there for three sides. Do you think that just might be a possibility sooner rather than later? Well, look, the industry has to come to that conclusion, but certainly um, we're putting together some data at the moment from each state and territory to sort of ascertain what their opinions are of what is currently out there. And the early indications are that if the industry decided to extend the concept, we could easily put four very um, viable, highly skillful, entertaining and highly competitive teams on the park. And we could also match that with um, four really high-level coaching panels. So if that's the way that the industry decides to move over the next couple of years, then we're actually ready now to do that. Um, but that, that needs a lot more discussion and uh, you know a lot more debate as well. But I'd be pretty disappointed if we weren't able to... Um, increase this concept somehow and start to progress towards um, our national women's competition. And we thank Jan very much for her time and look forward to that announcement on May 12. Let's stay in WA and the president of the East Romanda Women's Football Club in Steph Walding. Uh, Steph, uh, first of all, uh, congratulations to women from East Frio uh, being picked up in the AFL Women's Draft, uh, that being, of course, Jess Wuchner and Brianna Green. You must be absolutely proud as part. Yeah, really thrilled with, with those two girls. They've um, certainly put in a lot of effort over the last few months just getting their fitness right and working on all the things that uh, the coaches have been asking of them. Um, yeah, Wush is obviously uh, from Tasmania and she's come over to her second, second year with us, so we're really wrapped to have her on board and, and Brianna's been with us for a few years, so really good to see those girls uh, getting a gig. Uh, we've heard a bit about Jess uh, last week from Lee Alder in Tasmania, but what can you tell us about Brianna? 
Brianna, she's just only a young girl. She's just turned 18. Uh, she played a little bit of footy um, in Victoria, actually. Uh, I think she played in the, in the under-16s back there quite a few years ago. Um, but you're looking at her, she's quite a small girl, but she's hard as nails. She, she almost craves a contest. She goes in there looking for body contact, and she's definitely in and under sort of player and, um, yeah, one to really look out for on the day, I think. Uh, you had a first-up win against your local rivals, uh, South Frio, but a tough task to try and match it with the Titans. Um, you went down by about 70 points. Um, who, who stopped well in that loss? Uh, look, you know, apart from Brianna and Jess, who you probably expected to, to play really well, who we've just spoken about, um, Caitlin Edwards, who, who played for the Bulldogs last year, she was, um, again, solid for us. She plays in the midfield and, and often drops down back to, to help stop the, uh, the onslaught, I guess it was, on the weekend against the Titans. Um, our new captain, Joe Beachy, she was um, really good down back in that full-back position. But, um, yeah, like I said, Titans are pretty strong and, um, yeah, just couldn't get, uh, couldn't get past some of their talent on the weekend. Well, it's clear that the Titans are leading the pack at the moment. There's obviously the, the um, last year's premiers in Swan Districts. Uh, what needs to be done on and off the field to try and catch up to them? Uh, well, look, the, the Women's League over here have put in a lot of effort to try and even out the competition. Um, they've put in a, a point system um, similar to a salary cap, but obviously not being paid. Um, it's more of a, um, a cap on, on the talent you can have at your club. Um, so that's, that's coming in, and, and that'll have some effect over the next few years. But uh, basically, it's just the, the depth coming through. We need to really invest in our youth girls and not just us, all the clubs over here. And um, yeah, if, we, if we invest in those youth girls, we'll see some um, really talented players coming through through and, and just looking at ours in particular we've got some some players we'll be playing in the under 18s um next week so we're really excited about that um in particular the titans and swans they're, they're, they're such a well-drilled outfit both of them they're really fit they know what they're doing their experience so for us it's just um just keep chipping away and and, and getting up to that standard uh, you mentioned about the youth girls the national youth girls carnival actually kicks off uh, next week in mandra um uh, who from east Freer will be pulling on the wa jumper uh, I'm not too sure if the, the final team's been uh, announced yet, but uh, some of the players we're, we're hoping to see uh, in the, the WA jump will be Zoe Huggett, who's, um, again, uh, a ruck, 18-year-old. Uh, she's she played last year. She's um, she's very raw talent. She's, she's tall and really enthusiastic, so we're excited to see her her run out. Um, Ashley Gomes, she's a, a little uh, midfielder, she plays in our youth girls. Um, Jess Kinsman, who um, is really stepping up this year. She's, uh, she played uh, down the back line against Titans on the weekend in our, in our league team, so she's uh, had a tough ask on the weekend, and we're really hoping that she can uh, pull on the WA jumper and, and do us proud. And how has Youth Girls footy been at um, East Freo? Have the numbers been good coming through the ranks? Yeah, so this is the, the third year of the Youth Girls competition in WA, and uh, in our first year we had a combined team with the Claremont Women's Football Club, which was, was uh, quite successful. Just We both didn't have enough uh, players for one team each, so we combined, and we're really thankful with Claremont we could do that. Last year we, we went out on our own, as did Claremont, and... Um, Girls did really well, made the made the finals, and this year we're just seeing that those numbers are really coming through. Like you, know, you hear across across the country that footy's really taking off, and yeah, our, our youth girls are no different. And um, like I said before, we've got some really good, talented girls coming through. And uh, finally, uh, WA take on the Big V in just over a month in the uh, Queen's Birthday uh, weekend. Um, the, who do you hope from East Frio will uh, get a start in the state squad? Obviously, besides uh, Jess and Brianna. Yeah, so obviously those two, and I mentioned before Caitlin Edwards, she, um, 
she should really uh, give it a good crack. Uh, apart from those those three, um, a couple of, I guess, the more unknown players, uh, one would be Philippa Seth, who uh, she's played state 18s and open state before, and she's a, a good size. She's not, not overly tall, but she's just a, sort of that third tall, I suppose, and she can play down back or up forward. Um, and another player we've got across to us this year is Belinda Smith. She's... Uh, She's a backliner. She's got a cool head on her, so she, she doesn't panic. Um, and I think she'd be a real asset to the state team. And hopefully, um, on top of those first three girls, we can get a couple of extras in there as well. And just before I let you go, you obviously got uh, the Peel uh, Thunderbirds coming up in your next match. Um, how do you fancy your chances against them? Yeah, well, they're coming off a, a loss to one of their, their big rivals in South Rio. So um, we're expecting them to come out pretty hard, actually. Uh, I think it'll be a really tough game. We're not... Um, not too sure what to, to make of their game last week. We know they're a really good team and you know, players like um, Kira Phillips and Emma Swanson who have, who have both been drafted uh, will be playing for Peel that week. So um, hopefully we get the win, but yeah, it'll be a tough game and we always enjoy the contest against Peel. And we thank Steph very much for her time and wish uh, East Frio side all the very best throughout season 2015 in the WAWFL. Time to head up to southeast Queensland and the QWAFL. And joining us on the line is the coach of Yoronga South Brisbane and Scott Stevens. Of course, they had two players picked up in the draft. But first of all, Scott, um, how did you become involved with Yoronga South Brisbane? Well, I've, um, I've been uh, involved as a player and coach at the club since about 2000. Um, I stepped back from State League and came across to um, came across to Yeronga and um, outside of coaching, uh, I coached up at Callendale for a few years, but um, uh, the rest of the time I've, I've, I think it's my 11th year of involvement at Yeronga. And uh, how did the women's side come about with Yeronga South Brisbane? Was it meant to have it all together, the men's and the juniors together as one club? Um, well, I mean, uh, the girls uh, originally came over in 2011. Um, initially, they were a team that were attached um, or based over at Sherwood. Um, but um, I, I believe there was, that something happened there with the relationship between the girls and Sherwood and we ended up coming over to, uh, to our club. And, um, you know, there's, there's been a magnificent addition to our club ever since. Uh, first of all, success uh, over the weekend against uh, Zilmir, um, 107-13. to 13. You must be happy to get on the winner's board in, in such a big way. Well, look, round, round one, that was round one for us because we had the bye um, in round one, so that was our first game for the year. Um, so it's always good to, always good to get off with a win, but um, to have such an emphatic win um, was, was probably pleasing from, you know, from, a, from a coach's point of view. Um, it, was good, it was good that the girls were able to see, you know, sort of just, what sort of a side they could be when, uh, when you know, when they gave a full core, full four core effort, which is exactly what they did. And from all the reports, Haley Newbury was dominant up forward. Uh, yeah, well, she kicked ten, um, which when you when you kick double figures as a forward, you're always having a good day up. But um, I, uh, the, the pleasing thing about that was Haley wasn't. Um, I mean, she got a lot of ball delivered onto her chest, but um, uh, probably you know five or six of those goals were um, were actually her raising the ball off the ground and. and And uh, you got a big game coming up uh, this weekend up against uh, the University of Queensland. Have also got a win on the board.
you know, the, 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 they have got some qualities they've added to their list this year, which, um, which you know, it, it, it's, it's a bit hard to tell how they're going to, how they're really going to line up against us. So um, we can only just assume that, that, that they're going to be, you know, one of the benchmarks of the competition and go into the game with that sort of an attitude. And you, as a coach, you must be proud as punch to have uh, two of your girls picked up to play uh, in the AFL Women's Exhibition match, both off to the Western Bulldogs, Emily Bates and Jordan Zanchetta. Yeah, this will be back to uh, third year uh, at the Bulldogs. Um, she, she's, uh, look, she's, um, she's obviously had a lot of, um, uh, a lot of representatives, um, or she's got a lot of reputation around the representatives, um, around fo- representative football, but I think the, um, the, the biggest thing about those two girls, I think, and the most pleasing thing is that Jordan Zanchetta, she's, she, some, sometimes I think because Batesy's been, been such a, you know, a spotlight put on Batesy over the, over the last couple of years, I think um, Jordan sort of got caught in that shadow a little bit. But um, I think now that she's, uh, I mean, particularly at the draft game down at Metricon Stadium, we had uh, on the 11th of April, um, she, she was just about best on ground. I think um, Jordan Mendy from um, from Coolangatta actually got best on ground that day, but Jordan's on sure how, how Jordan was right behind her. Um, it was good, it's good to see Jordy actually getting some recognition because she's a very, quality, I mean, everyone knows basically a quality footballer, but Jordan really... Um, I think she got runner-up in the in the league best and first last year as well. So it's really good for Jordan that she's been able to get drafted to the Bulldogs. And uh, which other girls are you hoping uh, will get some representative honours um, this year for the Queensland side that will be uh, hosting Tasmania? Um, well, I mean, we're, we're sort of hoping that um, you know, all our girls in the state squad, which is, um, you know, Bacy, Jordan, Zanchetta, Emily Bliss, um, Matt Thomas will probably be in, in that mix as well. Um, I, look, I'm, I'm hoping that we, we may be able to get five or six because we have got a couple of talented under-18 girls who um, actually they're, they're, uh, heading off this weekend over to Perth to play in the Nationals over there. So um, hopefully we might be able to maybe sneak a couple of them into the Queensland side later as well. But obviously that'll be uh, that'll be up to the powers that be and the selectors and that sort of thing. But I think we're a pretty good chance of getting three to four in. Um, five or six at the very best. And uh, finally, obviously, the Western Bulldogs uh, coach in Craig Starsevich is also the coach of the Queensland uh, Female High Performance Academy. Um, what does that mean for South East Queensland football to have that high performance academy? And, and how is it uh, relayed at, at the local level to the quality of football? Oh, I, I think the girls, the girls have an opportunity. And we, we, have, we have quite a few girls who uh, have the opportunity to go and train in that Queensland squad. And um, the good thing about Craig is he, 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 he knows... He makes sure he knows who the girls are. He makes sure he, he makes sure he hasn't left any stone unturned in terms of quality players. Um, if there is a quality player out there, he wants to know about them and he wants to get them involved in the academy and, and find out a bit more about them and find out what they're capable of. Um, but look, I think mean, I mean, Craig's uh, obviously played um, going down and catching the Western Bulldogs. Um, you know, obviously he's, uh, he's, he's able to fly the flag for the Queensland girls a little bit more, I think. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess there's, there's a selection table that... Um, that a lot of people are sitting around, not just Craig. <laughs> but it, it's great to see that we've got, you know, we've got a, we've got a fair few Queensland girls down this, this year. I think there's three, maybe four down there. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's probably equal to what we've had in the past as well. So um, hopefully over the next couple of years we can increase those numbers. But we do have some very good girls coming out of our under-18. Um, and particularly, the, you know, the, the work that um, not only Craig, but also Aaron Russell, who coaches Phil and Gatty, he's been doing a bit of work the under-18 squad. Now that's some really good girls coming through there as well. So the future looks really good for Queensland women's footy.
And we thank Scott very much for his time and wish Yeronga South Brisbane all the very best in the QWAFL 2015 season. Now, our final interview is with the co-founder of girlsplayfooty.com in Matt Marston. We thought we'd bring him along because there's a lot to talk about, not only with the uh, possible uh, free-to-air broadcast of women's footy uh, happening this year, but a lot going on as we build to the national competition should it happen in 2017. And we thought it'd be an opportunity as well for you to find out behind the scenes of how girlsplayfooty.com came about. And Matt, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Pete. And just let me take a moment just to say um, the work you've been doing with Girls Play Footy and covering women's footy for the last couple of years is just fantastic. And it's excellent to have you on board with us this year. Checks in the mail for that. Checks in the mail. <laughs> uh, let, let's get into the most important thing first of all. It appears that the AFL will be making an announcement on May 12 at the uh, at a breakfast that uh, there will be a broadcast deal announced for the women's footy matches for this year. It appears that Channel 7 will at least be broadcasting live one of the games. What does this mean to uh, possibly have uh, women's footy on free-to-air? Oh, it's huge, isn't it? Um, when, when you think about uh, the reach that women's footy's had so far and the limited uh, audience that women's footy has had, uh, even with the exhibition games, you know, you, you are getting the game out there to people, but it's to a very limited amount of people. So whether it be those who show up uh, for the AFL game afterwards that catch the end of it, or whether it be the highlights on Fox Footy last year, there's only that small snippet of people that are getting exposed to women's footy now. Um, obviously, with a free-to-wear live coverage, when you think about the, the, the VFL gets, what, 70,000, 80,000 people tuning in to that live game, we're going to see similar numbers to that for a women's footy game. And that's, you know, that's something that's completely unprecedented before in women's footy, and these women are going to get um, their skills showcased to the country for the first time. Well, we'll talk about that uh, in just a moment's time, but let's properly introduce you to the audience at home. Uh, how did Matt Marsden first get involved in women's footy and why? Um, well, originally I used to work with the Melbourne Victory women's team about uh, three or four years ago, and uh, that was sort of my first uh, time of me getting exposed to women's sport. And, you know, through that, 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 um, that competition, the W League, is uh, a relatively big competition, certainly in women's soccer or women's football. It's uh, it's one of the bigger ones around the world. Um, and through that, you're still noticing that these girls are being paid a nice little sum amount of money to play the game that they love, but there's really not a whole lot of exposure going on there. And obviously being a fan of Aussie rules all my life, I'm, I'm a sad Carlton supporter, which is a very difficult um, thing for me to admit at the moment. Um, you sort of look back and you think, hang on, this is such a fantastic game in Australia. You know, you can hardly walk down the street in Melbourne without hearing conversation about the footy. Um, why is there nothing about women's footy? So I started to, to look into it a little bit more. And at the time, I was, I was sort of in, into wanting to coach a little bit and um Moving on from playing, I sort of wanted to, to keep in the game a little bit, but I'd also had this this little part that had grown in me that I thought, you know, that women's sport's something that's really underappreciated. These girls are really giving everything that they've got for, you know, not a whole lot in return. So I sort of had a look around and, you know, tried to find a bit of information about women's Aussie rules in comparison to women's soccer. Um, and 
slowly started to learn these things about, you know, these competitions all over the country. And when you think about it, and once you finally learn about it, the sizes of these competitions, they're not small. They're not sort of, um, you know, three or four or five, six team competitions around the country. A lot of states have got multiple competitions. Certainly Victoria does. Um, and so I sort of thought, oh, well, this is something that I'd really love to get involved in. And I was lucky enough to, to work with the Darabin Reserves for the last two years and sort of fell into that position at a good time. And, and that really helped me expose, be exposed to some of the best players that there are that play women's footy. Um, and certainly understand that these are so unbelievably talented players, yet nobody really knows about who they are other than friends and family. Um, so I sort of wanted to, moving on to girls play footy, it, it sort of stemmed from that is working with Darabin and sort of seeing that these girls aren't getting a whole lot of um, recognition for the, the work and time that they put in. We sort of went to girls play footy to, to, to try and get those scores from around the country, get the information from around the country so that it's all in that one place, so that there's one place that you can go to, you can find out what's happening around the country. If you're someone who's living in WA, you can see how your, your old mates from Victoria are going, you know, that sort of thing. And not only that, but of course, get uh, the names out there a little bit and get the, the faces out there and really try and push women's footy as a whole forward and give it sort of a hub for all that information that we want to find out about women's footy. And so how did it actually start itself and when? Girlsplayfooty.com um, It sort of started off as in 2013, midway through, we just started a Facebook page and I thought, um, what we'll do with it, we'll just find some scores from around the country, all the major competitions from Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, uh, WA and South Australia, I think those are the, the states we started with and we took a couple of competitions, the major ones, and just started posting scores and and just from that we were getting this huge response from people who, who wanted more than what we were putting out and we thought, all right, well, in order to do that we're not going to be able to run it solely through Facebook, let's sit down and, and actually properly do this and you know, I've got a bit of a journalism background and um, I sort of thought well instead of doing something and, and writing about Aussie rules where there's this huge pool of, of information for the men's competitions and all the spin-offs of the, the state competitions, be it the VFL what have you, um, I just decided let's do the same thing but for women's footy and where we can interview people, we can have exposés, we can keep up with all the information and and instead of just having fixtures and results there, we have proper reviews, uh, proper interviews, proper uh, news pieces, all that sort of thing. And one of your feature article writers is Katie Lambeski. How did she become involved? Katie I knew through, uh, again, through Women's Footy, um, I I'm not I can't I think I came across her on Twitter and saw she was a St Albans girl and I know Darren played St Albans so I sort of said hey you know best of luck sort of thing and and that sort of flourished into a real friendship that that uh, grew out of discussing women's footy and we sort of realised that we had very similar 
um, opinions of women's footy and we, we certainly agreed that women's footy needs a bit more exposure. So we sort of teamed up and said, hey, let's do this together. Let's, let's try and grow this from nothing and, and see what we can do. And, of course, eventually came girlsplayfooty.com and all the uh, articles. And it came along at a very interesting period because uh, for 2013 in women's footy, um, the VWFL was switching over from being its own controlled, I guess, competition and organisation to being uh, taken over, uh, a friendly takeover, I should mention, by uh, AFL Victoria. That's it. And it was, um, I guess it was very timely that that happened because it was certainly a major transition uh, in, in football. Obviously, the VWFL has been controlled by volunteers for a long time. And uh, all of a sudden, it was, uh, you've got an AFL body looking after things. And at that time, it's been a few interesting changes, and I'm interested to know your thoughts on that. Since AFL Vicks come along, uh, first of all, the the structure has changed. So instead of uh, for the lower divisions, which there used to be Northwest One, Northwest Two, and Southeast, uh, along with obviously Premier and Premier Reserve, it's now Premier Division One, and so forth down to Development East, Development West, um, and also as well, um, I remember in uh, 2013 how I got introduced to women's footy. There used to be a, a video stream, uh, I think, about every second week of a, a match of the round at Coburg. And now the old match of the round at Coburg's gone, and uh, that's all changed. Well, I think uh, the games at Coburg have completely gone altogether. I don't think there was any last year, um, just from memory. And if there was, there may have only been one or two. Um, and it, it is very disappointing, I suppose. And um, look, you don't want to shoot off at AFL Vic too much, but you do question whether this really is a positive thing for women's footy going forward. Um, we, when you look at things and you sit down and you assess things, you just wonder what progress has been made. One of the things they have done, which I really do appreciate as far as competitiveness goes, is the basically the abolishment of a reserves competition. It's now obviously called Division One, and you've got teams that, uh, yes, there are teams that are the, the twos of a lot of Premier Division clubs, but you've now got these wonderful teams that have come up from those northeastern competitions in previous years to now uh, now really challenge those teams and keep them on toes. So as far as com- competitiveness goes, now those reserves teams are no longer you know being seen as girls who want to come and have a kick at the footy. They've now really got to pull the stick out and have a go at playing footy, which is obviously really positive. But you know, as you mentioned, there's you have a look at things and there's no video stream um there's obviously no radio stream anymore now that you've come over and joined us um it it really does feel like the vwfl competitions are just another whole bunch of competitions they they manage amidst a whole other bunch of competitions whereas obviously before when you've got people on the committee who are volunteers they're not being paid for their time the only thing they're getting out of it is the satisfaction of of growing women's football and furthering women's football there certainly isn't that sense from afl victoria an interesting uh, article recently from Andrew Jago, of course, who came across some TAC Cup footy to now coach the Melbourne Uni Muggers, and he was one uh, um, pushing for stats and video. He wanted that analysis. As you want it coached in reserves, how do you feel that analysis is so critical to you, uh, particularly, um, particularly with the national competition uh, supposedly starting up in 2017? 
Well, first of all, it's fantastic to have him over into the competition first and foremost. And I think you've seen the the progress of Melbourne Uni already only two two rounds into the competition. They've been fantastic. As far as the stats go, you've you've got to agree with what he says and you look at you look at things as a whole and there's not a whole lot of information about the competition and as far as coaches go from from wanting to give feedback to players and develop players um, it's not all about the stats it's certainly not all about numbers but it really does help when you're looking and you're analyzing things and it's a big important part of player development and player growth I think at the AFL every player has a session now that they hire somebody to sit down and have a session with players every single week to look at their film look at their stats and see how effective they were there's none of that in women's football certainly not and and when you um, obviously it's fantastic that we're pushing for a women's competition in 2017 but you know that's two years away we're under two years away now and at the moment we really haven't got any solid data on the players that play the game you know obviously it's fantastic to say you know this player is wonderful this player is wonderful but it really you do need that data to back it up a little bit for the people who are coming into women's football who need to learn about these players and and certainly when it comes to draft time as well you know sort of segueing onto the draft a little bit it's it's almost like a bit of a blind stab sometimes the drafts because you're basically basing your selections off reputation and one game which is the the showcase games that these girls who are hoping to get draft perform in and uh, obviously it's a fantastic chance for them to to stamp themselves and get a get themselves drafted but you know that one game might not reflect their performance for the last three years um so going forward into a 2017 competition, we do need that information. It's vital information because it really proves who's what, who's effective with the ball, etc. We, as we go into the national competition, uh, and like you've mentioned with the, with the uh, W League, that players do get uh, paid a small amount uh, to to be able to play um, at the elite level. Do clubs that, for example, the VWFL, the WAWFL, do they need to prepare now for the next five to ten years for the reality of semi-professional players? Because even though players for example, may get paid at the top at the AFL level, when they eventually do finish there and come back down again, just like in men's football, they come down from the AFL to suburban levels, is it fair to say that they may be asking for a little bit of compensation? Not as much as the men, but certainly an amount. Well, to be honest, I'm very much surprised it hasn't happened already in women's footy. Um, Given the talent that's out there in women's footy, it's quite surprising that, you know, Club A hasn't said to, to player A, hey, come over and we'll give you a little bit of money to come play with us. You know, you don't get that. Um, and if you have a look at the women's clubs, majority of them, certainly all that I've come in contact with, players all pay to pay fees. And, you know, this is, you know, your Daisy Pierce's pay fees, your Katie Brennan's, Astro Clones, they all pay fees. So they're not being paid to play the game. So it's going to be sort of a culture shock, I think, a little bit when um, they do go up and they are earning a small uh, sum of money to effectively do a job which is to play footy um coming down from a national level to one of these clubs around the country you really think that i I would hope that there's a little bit of money in the clubs to be able to say to those players here come play your footy with us but 
um, when you have a look at the reality of it, which is that most clubs aren't financially supported enough to be able to pay their players. I, I don't really see that happening, unfortunately. And I guess that begs the question, um, with the AFL obviously wanting players to become a little more professional to feed that national competition, of course, as uh, that challenges state league clubs to become a little bit more professional, which raises costs. Um, is there enough uh, money in the pie, enough money to go around in local communities to be able to, to, to bring that revenue into to women's football clubs to help them survive? Because obviously the men's suburban clubs do take a fair chunk out of the local communities. I really wouldn't be surprised, and this is just the nature with any sport you're having a look at, I wouldn't be surprised uh, when a national team comes in that a lot of those lo- the teams now that exist will probably be under a lot of hardship and probably forward. That's just the nature of the beast, unfortunately. Um, and certainly with a lot of clubs sort of uh, just starting up or, you know, every year have a look at it, clubs disappear, it wouldn't be surprising to see a few fall off the radar when, when those players if you're thinking about a, a 16 to 10 team competition, right, there's 150, 180 to 300 players going up to being taken out of their clubs. So obviously it's going to be a huge hit. Um, unless they're getting players in to pay fees and sort of instantly replacing those players, um, you wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of those clubs fold, unfortunately. Also, at the same time, do they have to watch the development of women's football at that state league level? Because uh, we've seen, um, at least in Victoria anyway, um, the Wyndham Vale Falcons win a premiership and then because players decide to split in different directions, a club folds. Same thing happened in, in Ballarat, a town of, what, 80,000, 90,000 people had two clubs and one of them have decided not to field a side in the VWFL this year. Is it a case of we have to be careful of, as much as there's a lot of hype around women's football and around youth girls of how fast we are developing and that it's sustainable? Oh, most definitely. And, and it really is an overlooked uh, factor of women's football, unfortunately, that the current women that play the game and the current clubs are certainly overlooked. There's definitely a lot of emphasis put in uh, on the development of the youth programs around the country, which is obviously wonderful. Uh, we're not going to have a national competition be sustained unless we've got those, you know, the girls who are currently 14, 15, 16 coming up in a few years. Um, but at the same time, there really, it, it sort of is looked uh, overlooking the players that currently play now. And when you think about it, the vast majority of, um, of those that play the game now aren't going to be playing in the national competition. Um, only a select few are going to be going up and playing in that competition. So uh, there really needs to be something uh, implemented to make sure that these clubs are catered for when a national team does, uh, national competition does uh, finally kick in because otherwise, again, we are going to see teams fold and we don't want that. If, if um, you know, it's, the national competition is only going to be as strong as its foundations and uh, if there's that no middle ground from youth girls to a national competition, um, it's really got no hope as a, as a long-term investment. Also, the country metro divide, how can that be solved? If you look at 
the South Australian Women's Football League. Again, all clubs based around the Adelaide area. If you look at the WAWFL, most clubs are based around uh, Perth, Fremantle, Mandurah, around that area. Uh, but as you go into the um, as you go into the outback, you go into the more rural areas. There's generally a lack of women's country football clubs. But netball, mind you, is very strong in that area. Um, how do we a get more clubs in country areas, but b also get them up to standard that um, that country football can be at least somewhat compared with at least some of the lower divisions of metro football. I think that comes from the exposure of the game, uh, honestly. A lot of the, uh, obviously, with the the major towns being around, all those that play women's football are going to, you know, spread the word to their mates, and obviously their mates are probably not in the country. Um, so it's really a matter of getting that exposure out to them because the word of mouth isn't probably going to spread. Um, once we do get that exposure out to them, I think it's a matter of it taking care of itself because... Footy's a very infectious sort of a game. When you you see footy and you love footy, you know that you want to play footy. That's just one of the, the wonderful things about Australian rules. And uh, unfortunately, the uh, the word of women's footy hasn't quite spread to, to the country parts of Australia. And uh, again, that's from exposure, I believe. But, you know, certainly if we can get a, a women's footy game on Channel 7 and they flick on the telly and they see women's footy, all of a sudden, you know, there might be a big old spike in them playing the games and, and certainly it comes down to the AFL and AFL Victoria or the state bodies of, um, of the AFL certainly focusing on the development of those areas but once there's that exposure, once that, uh, that little spark has been lit, you know, again Aussie Rules is that sort of a game once you fall in love with it, you just want to play it. And you talked about Channel 7 and it being exposed to the general public. How critical is that if it is on air, if it is on free-to-air television on Channel 7, uh, a women's match, that it's done correctly? And I mean, in every way, in production, not only visually, but also that the right commentators are chosen and that uh, it's not only entertaining, but also informative of women's football. Oh, vitally important and Look, this is, this is going to be one of those opportunities where, uh, as we've seen in, in previous years, we haven't got the same players playing every single year in these exhibition games. Um, the list has changed quite a little bit, obviously, to try and cater uh, to exposing these new players to to the, obviously, what NATO environment's like. So um, it's very important that the, the coverage is, is very informative of these players because then we learn as a whole about who these players are and look if you if you just throw somebody in the commentary box who says you know player A kicks to player B kicks to player C whatever we're not getting anything out of that really we need to, to have a bit of a you know a really uh, informative uh, commentary team giving us something to really feed on because again this is a huge opportunity for women's footy into words how important it is and certainly nothing like this has happened before as far as a chance for exposure and there will be a large amount of people tuning in solely out of curiosity because look you, to the average Joe Blow person you you, um, you don't necessarily uh, put women with playing Aussie rules something as physical as Aussie rules the, uh, the general person might not um, so you're going to it's going to be an opportunity to reach out to people who haven't previously had experience with women's footy. This is going to be sort of a clean slate a little bit and you need to make a really, really informative 
impression to people and not only to just say, hey, here's some women kicking a footy around, to say, hey, these are some professional female footballers who who worship the game and who love playing the game and want to be professional footballers. One thing that hasn't been thought about, we've obviously had the recent women's AFL draft and there'll be a mini draft coming up in July. Do we need to sit down now and reassess what was known as obviously the father-son rule? Do we need to start discussing with the national competition, for example, father-daughter, because, for example, Danny Frawley never had a son, had four daughters. Um, and, or, and do we need to look at, and this will obviously affect the next generation to come 20-odd years down the track, mother-son, mother-daughter uh, selection policy at drafts? Well, I certainly think that would uh, would would be something we'd look at in the future. Obviously, if, um, if we are going down the, the national path, the national competition path, uh, we would look at things that are very similar to the men's competition uh, and, you know, things like that, wonderful things like that would be included. And, you know, there's, I don't think there's a uh, an Aussie Rules fan out there who, who has worshipped a player for when they were younger for however many years and all of a sudden their son comes up and plays the game and they think, oh, I remember his daddy was a champ and they just want to support that player. You'd, you'd hate to lose something like that in women's footy. You know, if you for the next generation who love women's footy to say all of a sudden is this this uh, wonderful player's daughter's coming up, and you'd hate to lose that. Before I let you go, what's the future for GirlsPlayFooty.com? Uh, certainly bright. <laughs> um, we there's a lot of improvement to do. What uh, on a lot of improvement to be had on what we we do currently. Obviously, there's a a, a large lack of information out there on women's footy and we're certainly trying to get all that together and we know that we've got a long way to go as far as development goes and we are still a very uh, very small fish in a, a big pond that is Australian rules but uh, we certainly hope to continue to expose new people to the absolutely wonderful thing that is women's Aussie rules. And we thank Matt very much for his time. Now, before we leave you on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for edition 12, just remind you of a couple of things. First of all, we've got our usual radio call coming up uh, this Sunday, 1.30pm. We'll be at Mulgrave Reserve for the Eastern Devils versus St Kilda Sharks in the VWFL Premier Division, 1.30pm live via girlsplayfooty.com and via the app if you download it from the Google Play Store. But we are also looking at trialling a video stream. So this will be a a Girls Play Footy TV, if you'd like to call it that, happening on Saturday night from approximately 4.30pm. We'll be broadcasting a video stream of the Diamond Creek versus Melbourne Uni game. There'll be uh, interviews included as well. We're going the full hog on the production. Cross fingers, everything goes okay. That trial will be happening if you keep an eye on girlsplayfooty.com this Saturday afternoon from 4.30pm. I'm Peter Holden. It's been a pleasure having your company once again and I'll catch you next week for another girlsplayfooty.com podcast.